Good to go. We're good to go. Man, I'm just going to go Sweet. ahead and knock, I'm gonna knock out a quick intro and then we'll jump right into it. Let's do it. Hey guys, welcome to the Filming with Josh podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Milligan, and this is episode number 53, Hanging with Kyle. This is the Filming with Josh podcast, brought to you by Rustic River Media. Welcome to the videographer's home for tips, tricks, and how to make flicks. Awesome. All right, guys, for those of you joining in live today, uh, we probably won't get like a massive audience, but we thought we might get some, but we just, uh, Kyle and I had a podcast in the books for this morning and just randomly about 10 minutes ago decided we would do it on Facebook Live. So caught, caught Kyle off guard, but thought that would be kind of fun. But thanks for joining in, Kyle. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. I do my best work off the cuff, so <laughs> thanks for catching me off guard. Absolutely, man. So we were just going to just, we have no like agenda. We were just going to like chat, chat video and gear and projects and that kind of thing. So what's going on with you guys? Oh, man. Um, well, I think so you and I were talking and um, so the actual like production aspect of everything kind of slowed down in the summer. We had a lot of editing backlogged that we were catching up on which was kind of nice actually because we weren't in the field all the time. So we actually had the time to catch up on everything. Um, but more recently we've been filming quite a bit. So we've been on the road and filming a lot of different kinds of projects from, you know, different kinds of corporate stuff to we've been filming, uh, some more agricultural projects and things like that. And it's kept us really busy. Um, so I can't complain and there's more work coming down the line here. And, you know, typically, I don't know why that is, but it seems like it's always like um, December, January, February, March always gets really busy for us. At least historically speaking, that's the way it's been. And it's not intentional because you think that would be a slower time because, you know, the holidays and things like that going on for everyone. But it seems like it's always picking up for us. But um, this year seems to be exactly the same. We've got, I don't know, probably seven or eight different videos that are going to be due within that uh, like midweek of Jan mid time of January, somewhere around the 15th to like February 15th, somewhere in that time frame. So we're gonna have a lot of big projects due in that time frame. Um, but outside of that, I mean, you know, just trying to hunt for ourselves and, you know, we each killed a deer, which was awesome. The rut was really weird for us. Um, I know you're trying to, I know we were kind of talking about you trying to kill a deer and I know I'm kind of going off topic, but I'm trying to catch everybody up on what's going on. But yeah, we, uh, I, dude, there is no topic today, so go for it. <laughs> yeah. So we had a lot of, uh, it, it was a strange deer season for us for sure, because, you know, via our trail cams. So I just started running some cell cams recently. Um, and before Same. that, so just, just like last month. <laughs> oh really? Yeah. So I, I started in like October yeah. and you know, I was okay. I always thought it'd be a good idea, and I'm like, well, maybe I should. So I started like late October, mid to late October. But when we checked all of our cameras on the one farm, a lot of deer were moving. We had deer chasing like October 15th through the 20th, which is weird for us because normally that you know that heavy chasing kind of stuff really doesn't happen until you know typically the first week of November. You know, first or second week of November for us. So that was really early. So we felt like we missed out on a lot just be, you know, based off of the trail cams that we had that we weren't seeing the deer. But 
you know, we end up, we each killed a deer anyway, so it really, I can't complain, but it definitely, we had opportunities that we missed out on of mature deer walking past our stands on the camera. But, uh, I mean, ultimately we killed a deer, so I can't complain, like I said, but it was a strange year, but man, we had, uh, I killed a deer and it was like, nice buck though. Yeah, I did. I, uh, so I was on public and it was, the weather was wild. So like typically I'm not a guy that's going to hunt heavy wind or rain or anything like that. I'll hunt in some, like a drizzle or things like that. But man, we had, I mean, it was like high wind advisories, gusts over 50. And it's like, everything tells you not to get in a tree stand, but I got in a tree stand anyways. And we had two days, two solid days of that. Uh, the wind advisory was like 48 hours. And during that wind advisory is when we saw the best movement out of any days of the year that we hunted. You know, I mean, it did fall on a good time of year. So that helps, you know, when you fall right around that, like November 10th time frame, you're typically going to have good movement, but man, when the, the wind was just howling, but the deer were moving, I mean, we're seeing like 50 plus deer sit just chasing everywhere. And it's like, this is crazy. And then, you know, two days after that, when the wind died down, we're thinking, this is going to be perfect. You know, we have no wind, the rut's right, no movement. The deer just stopped moving. And it was like, what is going on? You know, it's, it's, it was one of the most unpredictable years for deer hunting that I've ever seen. Um, you know, I talked to a couple other people that had similar um, experiences, and I'm not sure why that is. But, yeah, I mean, we, we uh, you know, you have to kind of adapt to that. But other than that, man, we really haven't been doing much. We've been hunting and working and that kind of thing. How about you? What have you been working on? Well, <clears throat> trying to stay stay alive with the baby because he's got some like stomach issues, so we're not getting a ton of sleep. Like I told you, mm. I got up like 35, 40 minutes ago. <laughs> um, and then I've been I've been working on some uh, some projects for this engineering firm. I do a lot of work for, but honestly, I've been deer hunting a lot, man. I, I talked about this last week on my podcast. And I've chatted with you about it a little bit, but that. I'm having like nightmares about this 150 and me not getting him because <laughs> he's literally, it's in my backyard. Like there's no reason for me not to get this deer. Like I have to do this and you never know if you're going to lose a property. So it's like, what if I don't have this place next year? Like I have, I absolutely have to get this done. So I've been spending like a lot of time with that. And I'm like you, so I picked up my first cell cams. What kind of cams did you get first off? Let me ask you that. I bought just the, the cheapest Tacticam reveals just to start. I, and the only reason I did that is I did some research on like the, uh, your monthly plan and what you're paying. I'm, I'm like a cheapskate when it comes to this. So I'm like, you know, I, I don't chip, I don't cheap out on my actual camera gear, but <laughs> for my cell cams, they were the cheapest monthly unlimited plan that I could get. And I'm like, well, and the, the cameras themselves were fairly inexpensive. I've been pretty happy with them, but the, I mean, the only problem that I've had is I feel like there's a lot of nighttime motion blur that I'm not getting a really crisp picture that I wish I was getting a better picture. And so I've been running the, my actual, just the regular trail cameras. I've been running the stealth cam 4Ks and I run everything on video mode, which has been fantastic. I love video mode, but I mean, I haven't tried the, the actual tactic cams on video mode yet. I've just been doing pictures only and there is a video mode on it, but I haven't tested it out. So I really need to do some testing. I wanted to test it before I put it in the field because like literally the day I bought them, I took them right to the field. So I didn't really get any testing to do. But I mean, overall, I'm I'm fairly happy with them. 
for the price and what they are, I think they're a great, I think they're a great buy, especially if you have a lot of places you want to put cameras. I think it's hard to beat it. Um, minus the nighttime motion blur. I just, I'm not getting really crisp photos at night if the deer are moving a lot, you know, if they're standing still, it's not a big deal, but I had one camera on a scrape where I was getting a lot of, you know, motion where they were moving and, and scraping. And I just, there were not a lot of really crisp pictures I was getting. So I was a little disappointed with that, but overall I think they're a pretty good camera. Yeah. So that's actually what I wish I would have gotten. So I've got, I picked up the spy point micros. And the only reason I went with those is because they're so small and I kind of wanted to hide them in places where no one could really see them. And I liked how tiny they were and they're a little, they're a little pricey monthly wise, uh, because you have to pay per camera per month and it's the same That's amount per camera are. per month. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, but it wasn't like the end of the world. And I figure I'm only going to be doing this. Like I'm not going to run cell cameras during the summer or spring. I could same spring here. and summer for me are, I would just run, I would just run them in regular, you know, game trail, trail cam mode, and then, uh, run cell cams during season. So you're only paying for it for like three months, four months, something like that. So to me, it's not the end of the world. Um, but they're okay. Like they're, they are really small and they work really well. I've got great reception. My issue with them is I don't like the image quality all that great. And I've looked at the tactic cam reveals and dude, they're really nice looking images for the price. I, I, I know you said you have an motion blur issue, but at least like when you have something that's in like in focus, that's not, doesn't have the motion blur, you're probably getting some pretty solid images. And I, I really wish I would have gotten that route. Um, so I think I might swap next year, but my issue is freaking cows, man. I have both of mine are pointing at the ground right now. And the only thing I'm getting are pictures of raccoons and rabbits <laughs> because these cows, they keep knocking my cameras. I literally looked out the window while I was drinking coffee yesterday and was watching a cow rubbing his head on the tree. My trail camera was on. So today or not today, I don't want to go over there and touch them. So when I go hunting this weekend, I'm going to, on my way out, I'm going to like mount them like way up high pointing down. And I, I hate to do that, but I don't know what else to do because they're useless to me right now. But yeah, I do like, I'm kind of like you, man. I, I'm not going to, I can't pour like $600 a pop into trail cameras, you know? And, and like, I would love to have like Reconics or something like that. But dude, with cows running into them and people can steal them and like, there's just too much. I'm just not going to do it. So I think the Tacticam reveals are going to be the ones I'm going to go with next. Yeah. So they have the, I can't remember the models. There's like a, I think the newer one is like an XB and SK. It's like the one has a solar panel on the top. I think that's the SK. Um, yeah, I want the one right underneath that, the S SB or whatever. The X, yeah, the XB. It looks pretty good. I mean, I have the Xs, which are like the cheapest model. And I'm like I said, I mean, overall for the price and what they are, I think they're a pretty good buy. I mean, I think Tacticam knocked it out of the park with that. Um, but the XB looks even better as far as image quality. So I'll probably pick up a couple of those. I mean, we run a lot of these on public land. And I mean, Tacticam must have knocked it out of the park because it seems like everybody's running them on public land now. I don't know that I've seen, I've seen more cell cams this year on public land than I have regular trail cameras, which is crazy because, you know, like three, four years ago, that's unheard of because of how expensive everything was. Sure, yeah. And I don't know if, 
and I, you can't quote me on that, but it seems like Tacticam made a really big splash with the the cell cam market. They jumped in, and I I mean I was I'm really happy with them, and it seems like a lot of people are using them, so they're doing something right. Um, I mean it's just like in August and September you couldn't even buy them, you couldn't find them anywhere, and people are selling them on eBay and Facebook Marketplace for like three times what they cost, and people are buying them because they want them. That's wild, and I mean that I guess that yeah, goes that for anything crazy. nowadays because. You know, you can't find anything anywhere because of all the backlogs due to last year, um, you know, people can't produce things fast enough anymore. But, uh, yeah, I mean, overall, I would say, you know, if, if anybody's looking for a, a cheaper cell camera, I, can, I would I would recommend the, the Tacticam for sure. Good reception everywhere that we've, we've had them. And um, the app can be a little finicky sometimes, but majority of the time, I mean, it's, spot on i'm getting an image within 30 seconds of something walking in front of it you know and that's me being like physically watching the camera seeing something walk past it and then actually getting the notification on my phone within 30 seconds you can't beat that's that that's pretty good i mean no, you especially if that. you you know if you're if you're walking in to a location and you're wondering if something's in front of the spot you're going to like is anything anything in front of there right now am i going to scare something walking in like i've literally had that's like as you're pulling up to the spots, like, oh, the deer are right in front of my tree stand right now. So I got to wait a little bit, that kind of thing. So I kind of like that. Um, it's, I don't know, it's just, it's a different way of hunting because you never had this before, you know, to have like on demand, figuring out what's going on, you know, while you're gone. I, and it's, it's really nice because, oh, I, it's kind of like a, a blessing and a curse, honestly, because you can see the deer in front of your, you know, in front of your tree stand when you're not there. And you're like, yeah. oh, I, I should have been hunting. But, you know, it is what yeah, it is. Totally agree. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. Are you are you done hunting for the season? Uh, I think I'm going to go back out late season so we can get a second tag during late season, which I believe is like December 19th or something, whenever that, uh, maybe December 20th, something like that. Yeah, December 20th. Our late season will run until like January 10th maybe maybe a little before that i'm not sure the exact dates but i'll try and go back out i mean the problem is is like if you're hunting a lot of public land you get a lot of pressure and you know you have all of archery season that's run all of october and november and then you get all the firearm hunters come in for two weeks and just stir the pot so the deer are really pressured so it 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 takes a lot of patience and you gotta have a really good spot uh, to kill a deer late season, but I think I'm going to try it this year. The weather's been really mild. So, I mean, typically when we hit that late December, early January, it can be frigid cold here in Iowa. We can have like negative 10 actual temperatures and it's like, nah, I'm good. I'm not going to sit in a tree stand. I don't have a box blind with a heater. I can go sit in on public land. So I'm not all about going and sitting in that kind of cold. Although yeah, I don't blame you. Uh, this year is not, not too bad at all. So I'll, I'll definitely consider it this year, depending on what the deer movement looks like. I'll, I kind of, so most of the time during firearm season, I'll pull all my cameras out just because I've had too many people mess with them on public land. I lock them up. I've had people try cutting the locks. I've had people break the actual camera just to get the SD card out. So I try to avoid that at all costs. And it, it only happens during firearm season. I mean, I've, I've had a few limited, um, instances where I've had somebody mess with it during archery season, but it seems like majority of the archery hunters 
are pretty straightforward guys that do not mess with it. And this is not this is not a dig at any firearm hunters because I enjoy hunting with a firearm too. But just historically speaking, I've had people mess with my cameras during firearm seasons, and I don't know what that is. Uh, you know, I've talked to multiple people it's about probably it. Probably partially the same, because there's more people in. I bet it's because there's more people in the woods. That's what my thought was, and it's like, and maybe it's because uh, you know, hunting with a firearm is an easier entry level for people. It you is. Know, and, you get different kind of people out there. Like, no offense, but right. Yeah, like I said, no, no offense to any firearm hunters because I, I'll pick <laughs> up a gun and go hunt a deer too. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's just Same. different people. So you so were I, talking about cold. What do you, what do you wear? What do you like to wear when it's like super cold out in those temps where you're at? I, I wear the Fanatic set. Uh, so I have all Sitka stuff, but so I'll run um, the core lightweight, core heavyweight, Fanatic jacket or F- Fanatic hoodie, sorry. Uh, Celsius midi, which is like their insulated jacket. And then I'll yeah, put I've the Fanatic jacket over yeah. that. And then I have the Fanatic bibs <clears throat> on the bottom with uh, core lightweight, core heavyweight, Equinox pants, and then the Fanatic bibs. And I won't walk in with the Fanatic stuff on. I'll just strap it on my pack because it's way too warm to walk sure. in with. And then once I get in the stand, Plus I'll put everything like on when I get there. and stuff on it. Oh, man. The Fanatic. If, <clears throat> I mean, that's that's my only complaint, the only gripe. And and then it's yeah. really bulky. It's super bulky. I mean, that's, that's one complaint that I have. But I will take the bulk every day of the week because of how warm I can be. Like when I killed my deer, sure. it was, I think it was like 15 degrees. And then we still, that wasn't with the wind chill either. We had, you know, like I was telling you, I think sustained 25 to 30 mile an hour winds with gusts up to 50 on the day I killed. And I was just toasty. Like I had no problems other than like the wind hitting me in the eyes. I had like my face mask and then my hat. So like only thing showing was my eyes. And it was like, it was cold in my eyes. But other than that, I'm, I'm totally warm. And that's without in hand warmers, foot warmers, anything. I'm totally comfortable sitting in that kind of temperature. But without yeah, that, so, I mean, go, go ahead. ahead. No, no, go ahead. There, prior, I think there's like a slight delay, so I interrupt you. <laughs> no, you're good. I mean, prior to prior to wearing the Fanatic set, it was hard for me to sit in those kind of temps because I didn't really have a good wind blocking system. But uh, the sure. Fanatic is, is bar none my favorite. It's It's been a game changer for my me and my wife because my wife has the same set and she loves it. Like she, she can actually go out and actually comfortably sit in the colder temperatures. I mean, she like, she freezes anyways. Like it could be like 30, not even 30. It could be like 45 degrees. And she's like, it is freezing out here. And I'm like, it is, this is pretty warm. This is nice. But she killed her deer on like October 23rd this year, I think. And it was like, I don't know, 45 or 50 degrees. Really nice. And it's like her first sit, she kills a deer and she was just ecstatic. So she didn't have. She was the most ecstatic, I think, because she didn't have to go sit in the cold. But uh, I mean, she got. She was definitely blessed with that deer. It was a. It was a great, a great sit because we were only there for like an hour and a half, and she shot this deer and made a perfect twenty-five yard shot with her bow. Deer ran like sixty yards and fell over. It was just picture perfect. You couldn't plan it out any better than that. That's awesome. Yeah. So I, I was debating between the fanatic and the, um, incinerator back in 2019, because I had this trip to Alaska where we were mountain goat hunting. And when you're mountain goat hunting, you don't think about having whitetail gear, but the way that we were mountain goat hunting is we are sitting in skiff boats, freezing. There's literally, there's literally icebergs floating by us. 
three weeks straight of this, and there's, you're sitting in these little metal skiff boats, going through the ice, looking up into cliffs for mountain goats. And when you're sitting in that skiff boat for 10 hours a day, which is about all the daylight you get, 10, maybe 12 max, and it is freezing, man. Cause you're not, it's like deer hunting, you're sitting, you're not moving cause you're in a fixed position in a boat, a metal boat, and it's snowing and sleeting and everything. And so I was like, man, the incinerator makes more sense than any of their uh, big game stuff because it comes down lower the way it's cut. And so it helps keep draft because you know clothes like that are meant for sitting whereas like their big game stuff is meant for moving and so mm-hmm. i plus i knew whatever i got i could double up for for whitetail later on so i i was going back and forth back and forth decided to go with the incinerator because it's uh weatherproofing and you can wrap it up really small um mm-hmm. because it's not as bulky and i do like it it's super warm best whitetail hunting clothes i've ever owned my only complaint is unlike the Fanatic, it's not as quiet. The Fanatic is super quiet. When you go to draw mm-hmm. with the Fanatic, you can't hear it, but you can hear the incinerator. It's not bad. Like I think I can get away with it, but the challenging issue is some of the places I'm hunting right now, I've got deer five yards away from me and drawing with the incinerator is a little intense because I, you know, that five yards close, man, that's close. So I don't know. I kind of almost wish I had both, but I don't know if I could convince my wife to own both the Fanatic set and the incinerator, even with the Sitka discount. That's still a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> what was uh, so? What kind of temperatures are you hunting in there in Texas right now? Uh, yeah. You know, it's not too bad. Like this weekend, it's going to be. I'm going out Saturday, Sunday, and it's going to be like mid to upper 30s, which is not bad. It's nothing like what you guys have, um, mm-hmm. but I still wear the incinerator because. I'm from Texas and we get cold easy. So (laughs) (laughs) that's what I was thinking. I'm like, you're, you're down South. You're one of those guys that has to have the, uh, like parka on when it's 45 (laughs) degrees out probably because you're not used to this kind of cold. It's like 40, 40, 45 and yeah, it's like 30 degrees. We're like, man, it's warm out here. You go out there and just like a long sleeve. (laughs) Right now, my big thing is I'm looking at leafy suits. So I, I bought one that I'm using from a company called Titan. And the reason I'm doing this is I like my Sika gear, but my Sika gear and a ground blind setting, brush blind, I'm hunting out of brush blinds. When these deer are 10 yards or less away, I feel like the Sika doesn't blend into the South Texas brush very well. And I feel like I just stick out too much. It's great for anything else, but, and then I have their big game gear, which I do feel like blends in better, but it's noisier because it's meant for, it's not meant for whitetail hunting at close distances. So what I've been doing lately is I've been wearing my Sika whitetail gear and throwing on a leafy suit to break me up. And Mm because the leafy suit packs down really small and you throw it in your bag. Uh, But I really want a leafy suit from First Light and they have an awesome top and awesome face mask, but they freaking don't have any leafy pants. And I don't understand that. Who makes a leafy, a half a leafy suit? What the heck? So, and Sika doesn't make one. So I've been shopping. I've been trying to find the right one right now. That's been my, my current endeavor. I gotcha. But uh, yeah, yeah we, man. I, so I'm, 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 so ahead. I'm a little crazy with the Sitka gear. I literally, I bought, so I have all elevated too, obviously for the whitetail stuff, but I wear in a lot of the times when I'm hunting on public land, there's a lot of walking involved. So what I'll actually do is yeah. I'll buy, uh, I bought the subalpine stuff. So, you know, early okay. from like October 1st until like November 15th, 
we've had a lot of leaves and things on the ground. So we had a lot of like cedar bushes, cedar thickets, that kind of thing too. And subalpine, when you have like CRP grass and, and cedar trees like that, the subalpine blends in unbelievably well on the ground. And so what I'll actually do is I'll wear in subalpine like when I'm walking in because I feel like I blend in. And if I had to spot and stalk something, not that that ever happens, but in a rare you know, 1% chance that that ever happens, I'm going to be, I'm going to, I'm going to blend in really well. And, uh, so I've, I've, I've hunted with subalpine on the way in and then I'll put my elevated on when I get up in the tree because elevated just does not blend in at all on the ground. That's not what's intended for, right? No. You you stick out like a sore thumb. Yeah, that's my issue with it. Yeah. On the ground, you stick out like a sore thumb. In the tree, it looks good. You know, in the right setting, I think it looks great, but subalpine on the ground is just, I mean, at least where we're at, you, you blend in so well, it's unbelievable. And it's not really intended for this market. You know, it's more, like you said, it's more of like an elk hunting thing when you're out hunting in Colorado, Montana, Utah, whatever. It blends in perfectly there as well. But I just found out, like, because I use it for turkey hunting, and I found out that it blends in so well on the ground here. I'm like, well, I can, you can hide in plain sight to these deer with how well it, it conceals. So I've, I've actually, ha- I have both setups. Yeah, that. So I actually looked at the subalpine. So I have an I have three tubs of Sitka. I have one giant tub that's all big game, open country. That was what I got first because I back when I was doing like outdoor TV, I was traveling all over and doing all kinds of big game stuff, and I still do some. So um, I've got a whole tub dedicated to that. Then I have a whole another tub that's dedicated for the elevated to whitetail stuff, everything from the incinerator to um, like the Celsius MIDI and all kinds of different layers. And then I have another one that's their waterfowl. I have another tub that's their waterfowl line because I really like their waterfowl line. Love their waders, best waders I've ever worn in my life, hands down. But I can't, I can't get myself to have a fourth tub. I can't do it. I can't, I can't have the uh, subalpine. I've already way too invested. So at this point for me, I'm like, what's, what's the easiest way I can take my current gear and break up a little bit better. And I was like, ah, a leafy suit, just throw it on top. Done. (laughs) So that's what I'm doing. There's a, there's a company. Go ahead. I don't have a ton of subalpine. I have like the traverse pants, which are like a great, probably great for where you're at. They're really quiet. I have like the traverse cold weather hoodie. And then I have the core lightweight hoodie. Those three things are all I have in subalpine because that's enough for me to walk around in. I can layer underneath the traverse pants with, with either my big game stuff or my whitetail stuff, I can layer underneath of it if I'm walking a lot. But with those three things, I can get through just about everything aside from like bad weather. I don't really have any rain gear for subalpine, but I don't really hunt in those kind of conditions anywhere where I'm going to be out there stuck in the rain. Like most places, if it's that bad, I'm just going to get out, you know, most of the time. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, man, I'm a, I have a, uh, quite a bit of Sika stuff. I love their, I love their gear, man. I, I need to quit investing in it, quite frankly, because that's I just have way too much of it. <laughs> I at Same one here. point, I at one point had like two sets of the big game open country stuff because I was doing so much traveling and outdoor video work, and I wouldn't have time to wash clothes, so I had like two sets of it. And then when I started kind of getting away from outdoor TV and I was just hunting for myself mainly, I was like, ah, I don't need two sets. So I started selling some of it, but it's good stuff, man. It's really good stuff. Agreed. Uh, dude. So, so, uh, are you, before we leave the hunting thing, are you, when, when you hunt on public, are you hunting mainly out of tree stands? And if so, what, what kind of stand are you rocking? 
Yeah, so <clears throat> everything that we do, majority of everything, is from a tree stand. I, in a very rare occurrence, I'll hunt from the ground. I've probably only done that once in the last few years, just because it takes a, like, I prefer to be above them versus on the ground with them. Um, you know, in most places, if, if I'm stuck on the ground, it's because it's, we're in really tight quarters. So the deer are going to pop out at seven yards and your shot will probably be at five yards and you're going to have like four or five seconds to make that decision without them busting you kind of thing. Um, so I prefer to get above them gives me more of a vantage point too, but I'm, I'm a mobile guy. So I have a, I have a lone wolf assault two with the lone wolf sticks. I have four sticks that I run. Um, and I've kind of, uh, made my own setup there. I have like actually made a seat shelf with it so I can put my backpack on the seat shelf and I, I wear the stand and I put my backpack on the seat shelf. Kind of like the Lone Wolf Custom Gear one. They actually have the the meat shelf on it where the seat sit, you know, sits flat and then you can put stuff on it. So I did that with the Assault 2. And then I have a, I rigged up my sticks so that I can stick them to the platform really nicely so it's really low profile for me. Um, other than that, that's pretty much really all, all I run personally. Some guys or I, a few of my friends around here run saddles and I haven't really gotten to the saddle game. Um, yeah, it's just I strictly, it's, I think it's just me being stubborn and stuck in my way. And I, maybe I would like saddles. I know there are, there are times that I'm probably going to get fried for this, but there are times where I've been like, I, I just don't think I would have been able to get a shot off based off of, you know, where the deer went and, there's definitely times where I could have set up properly, but I just, I think there are times I would have missed an opportunity based off hunting out of saddle because you're set up for shooting one direction and the deer ended up in a totally opposite direction. And I feel like, you know, turning around in the saddle would be pretty difficult. And I'll, you could probably prove me wrong with that just because I'm so green with it. But, you know, I, from watching other people saddle hunt, I've seen, times where they've struggled to get over to get a shot in a certain place and I just don't want to have that you know I feel like I would miss an opportunity and I think a lot of guys run the saddle just strictly based off of like it's just compact it doesn't weigh a lot like I've I've carried my lone wolf around for years now and I don't really mind the extra weight it doesn't really bother me any so I'll, I'll just keep doing what I'm doing because it's, if it's not broke don't fix it right um, I do think you can be more concealed with a saddle because you're so tight sure. to the tree. Especially because you can you get know. by and you can get by behind the tree too. Right. Yeah. I think there's definitely a, an argument for that because you can be more concealed versus having a tree stand. Um, and I, I think it could be fairly comfortable. I don't know. I've not sat in a saddle all day, so I couldn't tell you. I've sat in my lone wolf all day many times, but I don't know if I, I'm assuming you could sit in a saddle all day and be fairly comfortable. It seems like it'd be comfortable if you sat back in it. I don't know about having my knees like in the tree. I know guys wrap a pad around the tree and they'll put their knees into the pad. seems like that would get sore after a while though. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong with that too, but I'm kind of stuck in my ways. I, I'm not opposed to a saddle either, but I just haven't done it myself. Yeah. So I, my current stand, I have a muddy setup and I like it, but, um, I, I'm planning to get, um, a lone wolf custom stand next season. And I want to get the, like the 0.5 one, the one that's like a uh, half or excuse me, the one that's uh, five pounds. Mm -hmm. And I, I want to get their, uh, 
some of their sticks. I'm going to get four of their sticks. And I just recently got this Sitka, Sitka cargo box, which you can, the backpack that you can pull apart and sandwich a stand in the middle. And that's mm-hmm. something I want to do. So I can carry the cargo box backpack and have, you know, the stand sandwiched in the middle of the backpack and the sticks on the sides. So I bought mm-hmm. it for the cust- the Lone Wolf custom stand that I'm going to get next year. So that's going to be my new setup. But right now where I'm hunting, there's no way to hang a tree stand. So everything's off the ground. And uh, I actually don't mind hunting on the ground. So I started hunting on the ground. I've hunted on the ground in the past, but it was only about two years ago when I really started hunting on the ground. Right, I was on a public land draw hunt and there was an area I wanted to hunt, but it was so far back in and there's no way I was packing a stand back in there. So I went in at like four in the morning and just built a brush blind. And I had my first day and a half, I had 23 deer within bow range. And I was like, man, this is pretty interesting. Like that's a lot of deer. And a part of that's because I picked like an awesome area. I I was hunting a funnel point between two fields, but I was more mobile because all I have to pack with me is a handsaw, some pruners, and I bring a little bit of rope to help put brush up on. But it's like, it's a decoy rope though it's not like heavy or anything it's like real mm-hmm. small and a chair and I, I have this like chair i ordered off of uh, indiegogo which is kind of like kickstart and it weighs like yep. two pounds and it packs up this small but it's a full-size chair when you open it up and so with that setup man i can hike i can hike anywhere like there's nothing nothing stopping me and so like after having all the, the the 23 deer and bow range from that experience i was like man this is really interesting and then i was on another draw hunt that same year but there was this really big deer I called Big Tex. He was a monster, man. He was, it was like a mainframe uh, ten point that would have gone like mid one fifties, and there's no way you could have shot him out of a tree stand because he was the area he was going. He was walking, cutting from like one block of timber that I did not have the permission to hunt because it was inside of a park to. Uh, another block of timber that was also in the park, but he would cut through the public through an open field. And there was like a small b- batch of trees that were not tree stand hangable. And that was the only way you're going to kill him was to get in there on the ground and ambush him from the ground. And uh, I did not shoot that deer because he had to kill two does in order to earn your buck tag. And I did not get my, my, my buck tag until like the last day, <laughs> which is annoying. Uh, but like I did go and sit on the ground and I got close to him. And so I learned like you can be mobile and hunt from the ground. You don't see as much, but it does allow you to get in areas where you either a may not be able to pack into cause it's too far or B um, where there's not a good tree stand set up. Like where I'm hunting right now where ground is your only option. Um, but it's just a, di- it's a different way of hunting though. Cause I mean, you, you can't get away with nearly as much as you can. In a tree, mm-hmm. I feel like you got to be really cautious. But I can get close, man. It's a rush when you have a shooter at five yards. Like that's a rush, and I, I do like that because you're eye level with them, you know. Right. But so in Texas, are you this, hunting? Uh, go ahead. Go ahead. So no, in no, Texas, no, do, you, do you do you do you hunt a lot of? So there's not. Is there? A, so this is just me being completely naive to this, but I don't yeah. know much about Texas. Uh, public land and from what I've heard public sure. land is awful in Texas because everyone says there's just like it's no, overcrowded let's, ch- let's chat about it I'm gonna uh, yeah I'm gonna I, I want to know more about let's, this let's chat about yeah it. let's let's talk about it okay okay so when I when I went to college we're gonna talk about no video today I can see that this is clearly a hunting <laughs> podcast <laughs> so when I went to college I went to study forestry and wildlife management and my first summer I landed a an internship about 
15, 20 minutes outside of the college town I was living in, uh, outside of Nacogdoches, and it was on a public land place, a WMA. And so I lived on site, and it was like 2,000 acres or a little over 2,000 acres, which is a small track of public land, but it was archery only, and it was kind of like this little hidden hidden archery-only public land place. And when I would work there that summer, I ran trail, trail cams, and I would see deer throughout the day because I lived on site. Dude, there was a lot of Boone, Boone and Crockett deer running around in that place. Um, like my after my first summer there, a girl shot like a 183 like right across the street. And I mean, that's great for Texas public land deer. And I have sheds. I don't have them behind me right now, but I have sheds of a deer that was in the mid-160s, and he actually got killed at, at 172, and I saw him in person multiple times. And it was a great public land track, and that kind of opened my eyes to Texas public land hunting. Well, I started hunting like national forest land and my very first season national forest land, I, I rattled in a buck that was like 23 inches wide. I mean, it's really, really wide. And I was like, man, there's some really great public land deer. And so the more I started hunting the public land of Texas, the more I started realizing there's a lot of great opportunities. And yes, some areas can be crowded, but there's actually a lot more public land that people realize there are. Like last season, I took a rutcation with a friend, Greg of mine. Uh, and him and I went and hunted five days and we hunted this little W this like 20,000 acre WMA inside of like a hundred thousand acre national forest. So it was like a national forest and you got a WMA in the middle of it over in like San Augustine, Texas. And we hunted there for the rut and we didn't see a single person the entire time we hunted. And the only reason like, I don't look, we didn't shoot anything, but it was also like mid November and it was 95 degrees. It was like really hot for some weird reason. It was just like unseasonably hot and we we're fighting off mosquitoes, you know, in mid November it was stupid. But I do think had it not have been that hot, like I do think that we would have had opportunities because we were in a great area and there was nobody there. And the draw hunts, this is the big thing. This is what I'm really going to get you. Texas has hundreds of draw hunts different different hunts that you can go on and i usually put in for about 50 a year 40 to 50 a year and your odds of getting drawn are pretty good because not a ton of people know about it so i'll put in every year for alligator i'll put in for elk i'll put in for mule deer i'll put in for exotic where we have different uh south texas areas that have free range exotics like uh, uh black buck and Audad and stuff like there's a hunt on the devil's river that if you get they, they draw like 10 people a year and if you get drawn you get to hunt like you, it's unlimited exotics for like four days. Unlimited exotic. You can kill fifteen animals if you can, if you have the time to get it done, <laughs> you know. And and you've got waterfowl draw hunts, all kinds of draw hunts, deer draw hunts, gun and bow. And so I started putting in for draws, man. And I have been on some amazing draw hunts. I've been on draw hunts where I've had, like I said a minute ago, day and a half. I had a ten day draw hunt. I only got to hunt a day and a half of it because I had a project I had to shoot, but I had twenty three deer in bow range. You know, I had another draw hunt where I had a mid 150s and a mid 160s that I saw at least five times each. Um, and I've had draw hunts where I've like for waterfowl where we've gone in and if you don't shoot a, you know, a four man limit of ducks, you're then you just don't know what you're doing. So like there's really good public land draw hunts in Texas, but a lot of people just don't know about it. And so they just say that there's no public land. But if they'd look and, and see what's actually available, there's a ton of hunts. And like one of these days, I'm going to get drawn for one of these mule deer hunts and, and I'm going to shoot a massive muley in, in West Texas, you know, and you're only, if you get the tag, it's only a hundred bucks and it enters only, it's only like $3 a draw. So it doesn't cost a lot of money to enter all these. Wow. And a lot of them are free. I'd say about half of the draws I enter are free to enter. Um, 
In fact, both of the whitetail hunts I drew uh, in 2019 were free to enter. Didn't cost me a dollar. So, I mean, I don't know, man. It's pretty dang good. I, I don't know why people don't talk about it. There's like a there's like a hunt my buddy Corey and I put in for every year that they draw 30 people for. And it's a uh, Audad hunt out in Paladero Canyon. And it's it's like basically Paladero Canyon is the second biggest canyon in the United States, second only to the Grand Canyon. And you go in there and you've got like four days to hunt Audad. I mean, come on, dude. Like what? Why are people not doing that? You know what I mean? Yeah. So I don't know. To me, public land hunting in Texas is actually very good. Interesting. Yeah. It's funny when you talk about these large tracts because a large tract in Iowa for public land is like 3,000 acres. That's a huge one. Majority, with majority of you know public land tracts falling between like 60 to like 300 acres. Like there's a lot in that range. We have a lot of small parcels. Oh, dude, we don't have anything and, that small. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like I would, I think, um, and this was a statistic from the DNR at one point, but this was several years ago and it may have changed a bit now, but Iowa is 99% private land, 1% being public. And, you know, so we have a, we have a ton of these really small, you know, like you have a 280 acre parcel that you can whitetail hunt. And sometimes it gets a bad, I mean, Iowa public land gets a pretty good rap actually, because people always kill good deer off of it. But I mean, if you just position yourself in the right areas and you got to out hunt other hunters, a lot of times, you know, you got to outsmart people and just, you know, yeah, you're not the, just hunting the deer. You're kind of hunting the people in a way. I've learned that about correct land because they might push deer around and you have to learn correct. to play the game. Yeah. You gotta, you definitely have to understand what, why deer would move the way they do and then once you can figure out how people are going to push them around and move them then you can understand okay well i just need you just need to position yourself in the right areas and you'll see the deer and that's how it's been for us uh it's just go where the people aren't even if it doesn't seem like this is a productive area the deer may go there just because of strictly pressure um and I, i'm a sure. firm believer in getting there super early so i, I always get to my spot i like i want to be the first person there every time and if i'm not the first person there good chance i'm going to go somewhere else i try to be there way earlier than anyone else gets there i like to be in my stand when people are just pulling into the the parking areas and it's like i beat you here you know because it leaves that question in their head too i think like oh are they going is that person where i'm going you know that kind of thing and i feel like I've had it a couple times where people are like walking towards me and I flash my headlamp at them and they're like, oh, okay, well they got this spot. You know, and most of the time people are just, they're cool and they'll just move and they'll go somewhere else. But I've had only one time and it was because the guy had a permanent tree stand already set up. Uh, I had, I was half, I was halfway up the tree. I mean, in the complete, I mean, completely pitch blackout. I'm halfway up the tree and I got there really early, but this guy must've got there pretty early for already having a stand set up. And I'm halfway up the tree, you know, I have, I'm on my third stick and I see a light coming across the field towards me. So I flashed him with my headlamp and he just keeps walking towards me. And I'm like, come on guy. And he I literally, I flashed him like three or four times with my headlamp. He knew right where I was and he walks right past me and he had a tree stand like 50 yards behind me in the timber and he was getting set up there. And I'm like, well. I guess I'll tear down and go somewhere else. So I tore everything down, moved, uh, I don't know, probably five or 600 yards from him and got set up and I ended up seeing a ton of deer and I killed a deer that afternoon. 
I figured where the deer were coming from and I kind of just pushed in where the deer were coming from and I ended up killing my buck uh, in 2019 from there. But uh, yeah, it's public land can get a bad rap everywhere, I think. Uh, but again, I think it's just, it's just outsmarting people is all it is. It's just going where they're not. Yeah, you know, I think it's interesting. I think a lot of people, they hear public land and they shun away from it. They're like, ah, I don't want to do that. And so then they end up not realizing some of the rich opportunities that are out there. You know, I've seen, and I, I can say this because I went to college to study wildlife management. So like that was literally my degree program. So when I say that I've seen multiple, like I've probably seen 10 deer on public land over the last, I don't know, eight or nine years that have scored 150 to 170, you know, and, and for Texas public land, like that's pretty good. And a lot of people, a lot of people can go a long time and not see a deer like that. And I've seen, I've seen a ton of them and, and a lot of them I've seen multiple times because I'm just willing to go. And I think that's the thing, right? As a lot of people hear that public land's bad, so they don't even try it out and they don't realize there's actually some great opportunities. And a great example of this is in 2019, my buddy Corey Bauman and I, as well as my friend Hayden, we all put in for this waterfowl hunt down in West Texas and we got drawn and it was basically you get there on Friday at noon and you check in and it's a state park. They close down the state park and it's only, only people allowed in the state park are hunters and you check in at noon, you go through an orientation and then after orientation, you go scout and then you get to hunt Saturday morning and Sunday morning for waterfowl. And we showed up noon rolls around and nobody else is there. And it's supposed to have been four groups of hunters got drawn. And when we asked, we said, hey, where's everybody else? They said, well, y'all are the first people who have shown up for this hunt in four years. And this is a draw hunt. So that means that people get drawn, groups of people get drawn every year and don't even go. Hadn't been in four years. So we, they were like, man, we're shocked anybody came. We thought today was just like, we're just going to hang out today. But I guess we're going to have to do this orientation. We haven't done one in forever. So they like did the orientation for us. And we're like, wait a minute. If we're the only people that showed up, then does that mean that since the park is shut down, are we literally the only people in this entire park? And they're like, yep, it's all yours. You can have whatever campsite you want. You can stay wherever you want. You can hunt wherever you want. So we we're like, what? So we we went and set up. We picked out a, the, this awesome campsite on this hilltop. That, and it's like in one of the best Milky Way viewing areas in Texas. So we had like great stars at night and everything. And we had campfire and we just hung out and we smashed ducks, dude. It was awesome. Only people there had this like 2,000 acre park completely to ourselves and no one's allowed in or out but us. And we have our own code to the park and everything. What is, It's like an incredible public land waterfowl hunt. And it's just because people yeah. don't go. And I, I can't wrap my head around that. But to me... I think the I think public land hunting is actually a lot better than a lot of people give it credit for. They just hear about how bad it is and they don't even try it out. Well, I'm not going to I'm going to tell everybody, "Yeah, it is as bad as you think it is. Don't come out, okay?" No, I'm just kidding. 100%. I, I won't I, <laughs> I won't be that guy because, you know, I I think there's a fierce discussion amongst the industry where people are talking about uh, hunter retention and growing more hunters in the industry, but yeah, I think uh, you know it's we do need more people involved, and there's there's definitely a generation of people that have been lost um, that are not hunting yeah, I agree. that should should be that could that need to understand what hunting is about, even if they don't become hunters themselves. I think there needs to be definitely some education on, on what hunting actually is, and uh, I think a lot of people need to have that experience. So I'm not, I definitely would never turn someone away from public land, but I definitely think like 
there's there's probably opportunity somewhere close by where you live no matter where you live there's probably something you can go have an experience and whether that's positive or negative i think it just depends on how hard you're willing to work for it but um there's definitely more work involved when you're hunting public all the time versus when you get to hunt a really nice private tract but it's definitely worth it. I would definitely encourage anyone to go out and at least try it once. It honestly makes you a better hunter too, because I've learned, so I, I actually had to hunt public before I ever started getting private access to places. And I would have, I would have struggles. I'd have like seasons where like I would do everything right and I still would not get opportunities, but it's because I, I was having to learn how to hunt deer on public land. And once you finally figure it out, then you can be successful. I mean, you're, you're successful. You've shot, you shot some nice deer on public land and, and you've got to like get to that point. But once you get to that point where you can start being successful on public, if you get the opportunity to, to then go hunt private, dude, private then becomes like a piece of cake because (laughs) everything you've learned from public is easier on private almost always. And so I don't know, I, I went from like, having to learn to hunt public and it took me several years to figure it out. And then I started, I started figuring it out. I started getting, getting deer on the ground that got access to private. And next thing you know, my first private track, I shot, I shot three deer in three sets. And I was like, what is happening? You know what I mean? But it's all because I learned so much. So I don't know. I feel like public land can actually help people learn a lot more about hunting too. Oh, it definitely can. It definitely makes you a much better hunter. Um, if you, if you've never had that chance to to go learn what the animals do and it it makes you a a better hunter hunter 100 percent i think um it it does when you when you especially like you said when you when you go from that to hunting a private track it's like not i i don't want to say it's easy to kill a deer because sometimes it's not you know and especially the guys when you're like honing in on a specific deer on a piece of private it can be really hard and you might you might go years going through that right now Yeah. I mean, like, yeah. it's not always a slam dunk. Now, if you're just going in just to kill a deer, period, it's much easier. It can be much easier on private. I'm not going to say it's always easier, but it can be much easier on private than it is on public. Even killing does sometimes is difficult on public land, depending on where you're hunting and what you're trying to do. But like this year, they're already I went looking out up. To, <laughs> right, they do. And honestly, it's like this year I went out to kill a doe. Um, I had some friends that wanted some meat. So I was like, well, I'll go kill some does for them. And our first sit, I shot a doe. <laughs> it was like, it was almost too easy. Like we were there for, you know, two hours, shot a doe, good to go. It was really close to the truck. And again, it was like hunting early season. If you're out for meat, hunting early season like that on a lot of these pieces, there's no competition because no one else is out there early. They're wanting to hunt the rut, you know, with their bow, looking for a big buck. So like you out there with, you know, your bow early season, you want to kill a, a doe. I mean, it can be fairly easy. I mean, we were with like within like 200 yards of the truck and it was just like <laughs> drug. She, she fell really, you know, I, we drug her maybe 150 yards. Like it was cake. That's awesome. And it was like, I'm like, this is the <laughs> easy. It doesn't get any better than this. Like it's not even this easy. I mean, it'd be easier on private if I had a, a four wheeler or something to, to put the deer on. But I mean, other than that, I mean, it's, it was as easy as it gets for me. That's awesome, man. Well, if we're going to be on filming with Josh, I feel like we have to talk like video at least <laughs> at some point. A little bit. What kind of, tell me about so, some projects you're on. So you said you're doing some ag projects right now? Yep. Yeah. So tell we're me about working that. with, uh, so we're working with some, uh, a couple different clients actually right now, but 
one of our clients, they're rolling out a bunch of new products. So we're going around and uh, we're doing like uh, some different commercials for them for that. We're doing some release films. Uh, they have some events coming up that we're going to be filming kind of like a release video for the new product because nobody knows this new product's coming. So it's kind of everything's under wraps right now, but we've been filming that for the past, I don't know, uh, month or two now that we've been filming. So we'll be releasing all those videos uh, at that event in February and March. There's two different events. So we're filming that. Um, they're so like they're releasing a, a new product that we're doing like a complete tutorial system on how to use the system because it's a totally new system for them. Um, so we're doing like this really in-depth tutorial for all the end users when they eventually get this product and how to use the system. Okay. So that's okay. fun. Um, it's redundant, but you know we're doing sure. that. Probably but the fun ones. Probably real meticulous work. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Uh, we've been doing that. Uh, we've been working with a couple different um, co-ops and and doing like day in the life kind of films for them. We've we've done. I think we did ten of those. Um, what else we've we been working on lately? Looking at my calendar, I can probably tell you what we've been going through. But um, dog breeder, we did some stuff for a dog breeder, which was a lot of fun. We went out in different locations and filmed those. Um, that's really kept us pretty busy between those four or five clients there. That's kept us fairly busy. Uh, we've done some photo shoots for some clients recently, um, trying to get more people involved in the outdoors, that kind of thing. But other than that, um, nothing too crazy, I don't think. So enough. you told me recently... Go ahead. No, go ahead. This delay, it's like a two-second delay. It's killing me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, um, you told me recently that you, you brought your RED and your A7S three to a shoot, but you ended up using your A7S three for like 75% of the shots. Tell me about that. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, and there, there's, so there's definitely a workflow with the RED, right? And... I, I love, absolutely love the image that comes off the sensor. I mean, the, the red footage is just beautiful. Skin tones. You have are, uh, a helium or a monstro? Yeah, we have the helium AK. So helium. Which now, we sh now we should probably get the Raptor if we're going to stay Dude, in the, the red ecosystem. the V-Raptor is pretty sweet looking. It is. It's pretty sick. It's, um, shooting like slow motion in AK is kind of crazy to think about. But... Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's pretty well. That's, that's another conversation, but uh, I don't know. There's there's <laughs> definitely a workflow involved with shooting on the red and building it up. And there are a lot of, I don't want to say cons, but there's definitely a lot of trade-offs when you're using the red versus using a really fast, you know, like my A7S three, I can point that thing in any direction and I can be like filming and I can capture it really fast especially when you're relying on autofocus. Touch autofocus is so nice if you're tracking a person or something to be able to have it on the back of the screen and just tap the person and it just tracks them perfectly and focus and you know you're not going to miss it. That is clutch. And I, I don't know, I, I rig up my A7S three obviously pretty heavily. Um, it's, it's a pretty big rig for an A7S three, but I just, I don't know, I feel like the image that comes off of it is a pretty good image for what it is. I mean... 
comparing it to the red, there's definitely differences. Um, don't get me wrong. Sure, and absolutely. I, I love I love that red image, but the A7S III, it, I don't feel like I lose a lot by using it. It just it works, and it's just really simple to use. And I can just pick it up and I can point it in whatever direction I want at whatever I'm filming, and I know it's going to get the shot. Period. That's it's just I have it's that much like confidence. It's almost like you get to a point. It. It's almost like you get to a point of like diminishing returns, where like the the red has obviously got a nicer image. There's no doubt. I mean, on the on the helium, you're shooting 16 bit raw internally, aren't you? Mm-hmm. Red code raw. Yeah. Yeah. Versus 10 bit log. I mean, there's obviously a difference a difference there, but it's a point of diminishing returns because you think about like where the video is going to be played and like what your client's going to think. And like nine, 99% of the time, if you presented your shots, if you know what you're doing as a DP and you present your shots off the a seven S three, they're not going to know the difference because mm-hmm. it's good. It's good enough. Now I think like that hasn't always been the case. Like the a seven three, I used to own one of those and I think it had a weird motion cadence that, kind of looks odd and i think the hd was awful and you had to shoot hd to get slow motion and it just looked awful and i think that like there are cameras out there that genuinely just can't compare but yep. when you're talking about the newer generation of cameras the a1s the a7s3s the r5s the r3s the nikon new z9 when you start looking at some of those those cameras i don't know man it's a point to where it really just comes down to you more more than needing anything more i think Absolutely. I mean, if, I mean, if you're not gonna, like you said, I mean, the, the biggest thing for like the red for me, which sounds funny, I know we've had this conversation before, but realistically, like it just, it looks more professional than a mirrorless body does. Right. And it does, it definitely does. Like I can rig up, I can rig up my mirrorless camera. So it looks fairly big and it looks, you know, expensive. But the the red, the body of the red just looks different. And people are like, as soon as you pull it out, they go, wow, that's big. It looks expensive, you know. And we've even had several people that knew what red was. And they're like, you guys have a red? Wow. Like, I love that because you look very professional in front of your clients. And they feel like their money is well invested. But, again, like, it's just, it's not as easy to make the image on the red as it is on, you know, say FX six or a seven S three or a one or R five, whatever these are, they're definitely faster to get a good image. And I, it, there's a lot for me, like time is money, especially when you're on a shoot Yeah. and being able, being able to get the image faster, you know, not that, especially when it depends on the scenario, right? Because if you're in a, like a scripted, um, you know, a scripted shoot where you're actually um, planning out every single shot that you're doing, which, which I'm not Designing saying Designing a shouldn't. set and all that stuff. Yeah, right, you know? right. Yeah. Like, red's great. You know, lighting sure. it properly. Totally agree. But we, if, if you're in a run-and-gun environment, which sometimes you find yourself in, especially, like, if you have a lot of locations you're trying to hit or that kind of thing in a day, you know, and you're trying to hit it in the daylight, like, there are times where the red will slow you down. And that's why I, on that specific shoot, we used a lot of A7S III. It was just the red was slower, you know, and not to mention the media space that the red takes up versus, <laughs> you know, versus the A7S III or an FX6 or whatever it might be that you're using. 
Now, I, there's like I said, there's definitely a case to make to say use the bigger camera just because you look more professional. I mean, even if you're not more professional, you look more professional. And that's you, definitely a portion. You do, man. It, it is. So, like, hold up. Let me grab something. Okay. So, I was on a shoot. For those of you that are listening to this on the podcast, not the live stream, I just grabbed two cameras. So, I was on a shoot on Monday for uh, one of my biggest clients. It's this... It's the largest geospatial engineering firm in the country. Big client. And I showed up for my shoot and they have this new girl who's in their marketing department who was heading up this particular project. And I showed up and I put this FX6, you know, with the top plate and you've got, you know, big mic and big handle, all this stuff. And I, I pulled this up and I put it on a tripod and the girl's first response was, oh, wow, someone who finally brought a real camera. And people, a lot of times, don't believe that that's a thing. But when you show up with this <laughs> versus this, it it's a huge difference because this is a photo camera at the end of the day. And that's what your clients are going to look at it and think. And you can deck it out and you can cage it out and, and whatnot, but it still does not look like this, you know? Agreed. And when, when you have like, it doesn't always matter. And I know a lot of people roll their eyes at that. And, and it, it doesn't always matter depending on the client, but when you're working on really big, with really big like corporate clients or commercial clients who are paying you a sizable check and you show up with something like that or like you're red, it does make it look like you're there to do the job that they paid you for and it does make you look like you're worth the money. So it's like, I don't know, it's a, it's a tough thing for me because I have a lot of clients I think that would freak out if I showed up with this and they would feel like, they could do it themselves at that point. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, so we used to film, I used to, well, I did, I used to film on an FS7, and um, I, it's just, the camera is big, and when you throw it up on your shoulder, you know, even like, just stock with the, you know, as it comes out of the box, throwing it on your yeah. shoulder with, with the loop on the screen, like, you can be ready to shoot off the shoulder you know, because it's got the handle and everything, you're ready to go, and it makes it look really professional when you show up on location. And people see that, and they're like, wow, that's big, expensive, you know. And it definitely gave you that look of being professional. And, you know, now I, is the FS7 image as good as, like, an A7S3 image? I think no. the A7S3 image is, is leaps and bounds better than what I thought the FS7 image was. Just because of, of the development 100%. of... Yeah, I mean, the develop of the color science and everything is better. Does that mean that you shouldn't go buy an FS7 right now and use it if that's what your first big camera will be? Absolutely not. I think you should go buy one. Like if, if that's what your budget is and you have that you know, allotted to buy a camera, I think an FS7 is still a great purchase because on a lot yeah. of, I mean, you're talking like ESPN, like 30 for 30s and like Vice and like uh, GQ, like a lot of these like big corporate clients they have a, a arsenal of FS7s and that's what they were using they, for they all of their online content, you know, and everything was used in FS7, you know, and that kind of transitioned to when FX9 came out, a lot of people were upgrading to an FX9 from the FS7 just because of the color science and autofocus and, you know, all the different upgrades from that. But that was a staple and I, I'm not going to take away from that because I think it's, I still think it's a great camera. And if, if you haven't, 
you know, if, if that would be your first camera and you didn't have the money for whatever. I mean, if you look at the price of what's a used FS7 go for nowadays, Josh, what do you know? I mean, I'm you can get sure. it for like three throughout, like from three to 35. In fact, I've okay. seen them for 2,800 even. Okay. So, I mean, cheaper than you can buy an A7S3 body, right? You know, so yeah. you, you buy, if, if you're a beginner and you buy a good piece of glass, you know, and say you're ultra beginner and you're like, okay, buy yourself a Canon 28 to 300 L lens. You know, if, if you're doing hunts, things like that, and you need something that's really versatile, go buy you a 28 to 300 that Canon lens. lens. That's, a pre- that's a pretty good lens. It's a great lens for what it is. I mean, I love that lens. Yeah. We have that lens and buy yeah. yourself an FS7 a and a 28 to 300. It's huge. Like I, so I ran the FS7 with the 28 to 300 in um, Colorado and Montana elk hunting. And it's a lot to carry around, but I just had so much versatility, you know, versus using like... There's no the, other lens the, like it, man. No. I mean, the Sony 18 to 200 power zoom lens, uh, terrible. The 24 to 240 in comparison to that 28 to 300 doesn't even compare. Um, I, that, that There's nothing else out there that can compare to that lens. And, you know, now now I would even look at... I mean, obviously, you're not going to get any optical stabilization, but that uh, was that Tamron 35 to 150. That yeah. that lens is very intriguing. Now, if that thing had optical yeah, image stabilization, sick. I mean, that would like the FX6, like you're talking, like with an FX6 and a 35 to 150, if it was optically stabilized, oh my goodness, that would help so much. But I mean, you're still kind of limited to now. What, what do you have like the 24 to 105 F4 because you have stabilization with it? Is that what you're using on the FX6? The, yeah, so I have both. So I have the 35 to 150 when I'm running on sticks, but if mm-hmm. I'm going handheld, it's the 24 to 105. Yeah. I mean, there's. If, well, hold up. At the moment, at the moment, I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna talk about that because I'm actually gonna make a change there. But go ahead. Okay. But anyways, I mean, if if you're in the market, even an FS5 Mark II. I mean, I if you're trying to get in uber cheap, and you know, it it just looks more professional to a client. And as much as I hate to say, like looks, looks do help you get more business and it helps them be more confident with what they're spending their money on. Um, and I, I, I can't speak highly enough about the FS7 because I loved it as a camera. And at the time, I thought the image quality was as, as good as it gets for what it was. Um, like yeah. I said, obviously times are changing with color science and sensors, but the FS7 is a great camera still to this day. I think it's a great camera. I think like 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 the A7S3, you're talking about how like fast it is to shoot with, and I totally agree because it's so fast. Like, if I just throw like a 2470 on here, I mean, dude, it's so easy for me to run around and pick off shots or even a fast prime, you know. Um, so I absolutely love having an A7S3 or an A1 on set with me. Um, I think it's just like, I think you should have both. I really do. I think you should have a, yep. you should have a traditional. A traditional video or cinema, you know, cinema style camera, something that looks good, that screams professional, that's got all the proper audio inputs, XLR inputs, and uh, built-in and D and all that stuff. But then also have you know the mirrorless body for just running around and getting shots, and you showing up with the red and the A7S3. It's like a really great combo. I feel like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I so I actually bought the R5, and I, I really wanted to love it. Because I thought, honestly, mm-hmm. I thought the color science was closer to the red 
matching wise, being able to match the two. Sure. I thought I, I thought totally the image. Agree. Yeah, it's definitely a closer image to match than the A7S3 to the red. But the problem that I did have was the thing overheated. And it yeah. really <laughs> and I mean I I wanted to love it because the 4K HQ mode is unreal. I mean the image that comes off of that camera was just unbelievable. I mean other than the codec was absolutely trash and it was like it would slow your computer down unbelievably trying to use it. Um, I loved it. It was a, the, I loved the feel of the camera. The image quality was great, but it overheated and you couldn't, there's nothing you can do to stop it. I mean, I didn't like tilt her. Somebody come out with like fans you could literally put on the back of the camera. I literally a fan for the back of the yeah. camera. Yeah. That's ridiculous. I mean, it's like, you might as well just like, let's put a little like <laughs> fridge on this thing. You know, it's like, just keep it in this little encapsulated cool area even but i mean i'm talking we're inside you know and in my house we keep it like 68 69 degrees and you would get you know i'd get 20 minutes and it's like we we do sit down interviews all the time with people that consistently go for over an hour at one time you know like that's very common and there's no way and the thing was once it got overheated the thing would take two hours to be able to use it again. And it's like, that can't fly on set. That will never work. <laughs> it, just, it just can't happen. Yeah. You know, I've, I've never had no. knock on wood. <clears throat> my, my A7S three has never overheated. Minus yeah, I did have, it. I've had overheat one time and I was hand holding it for like two hours, like in my hands. And I think just the heat from my hands made it overheat. But literally I turned it off. Yeah, I could see that. I, I, I put a fresh battery in it and put it back on the sticks. And it could, I was filming within two minutes and it never had the overheat yeah, that's awesome. warning come up again. And it's like, you couldn't do that with the R5. It just wasn't available. You didn't have that option. Now I'm a little intrigued by the R3 and I don't think there's enough information out there yet for me to say one way or the other, but I'm definitely intrigued by the R3. Just be, I just like that color science. Did you see but, it's on I mean, a six month back order though? Yes, I did. Because of chip and shortage is six months. <laughs> It's wild, and but I love. I mean, I love my Sony's, but I I definitely am intrigued by the R3. I'm I'm never like I love the One DX Mark II when it came out. Like I used that a little bit. Mm -hmm. I did too. Like I, yeah, it was a great great camera. But uh, I think I almost switched to Canon for the One DX too back in the day. I, it, it was worthy of that, especially at the time when the thing came out. It's a great camera, but uh, I don't. I, I'll, I'm going to stick with Sony for now until I have more definitive proof that something else is better. And, you know, I tried that with the R5 and the R5, you know, being probably a more of a comparison right to the A1 just because of the higher resolution than the A7S3. But the A7S3 for me does everything the R5 couldn't do. And then some, right. You know, I, I love, and I, I just, I'm not familiar. I've been shooting Sony for years now. And I'm not really that familiar with the Canon ecosystem and their menus and everything. I don't know it well enough to uh, to really be fluent with it yet. So, I mean, that was kind of a, a learning process of using it for a while. But I definitely think I, I'm, I love the new Sony menu system on the A7S III. It's so easy and fast to use. You can find everything pretty quickly. Um, I, I knew the old Sony menu system though, because I used it for so long. I could, I could find everything like the back of my hand. But yeah, me too. So honestly, I was like, ah, I know it really well. <laughs> yeah. 
Right. I mean, for someone new coming in, I think the A7S III is definitely an easier uh, entry for that. Yeah. But I think it's uh, it's very, very, the whole the whole thing is really good. I, I mean, you can't complain with the A7S III, that is. Yeah, no, I like it. I do like the A1 <clears throat> a little more now that I have it because it, man, having the ability to shoot 4K and crop and, and having, which you can't do in the S3, the 8K is pretty cool. Like I don't use it a ton, but there are definitely some some times or some moments where it can be beneficial. And then on top of that, the, the the photography from it is just bonkers. Like it's really hard to wrap your head around the photography, but it's so good. So I I don't know. I really like the A1. Like if I can only own one of the two, that's the one I'd own. But um, I like I like them both a lot. So you were at you were mentioned you brought up the 35 to 150. So I shot my first corporate project with that Monday and I loved it, man. Literally did not put another lens on my FX 60 the entire time because the range of 35 to 150 for like a commercial or a corporate setting is perfect. And I have it so you can program, you can plug the lens up to your computer and program it um, to different, different options, which is really cool. I think it's really innovative. So I plugged it up the computer when I first got it and I set it to 180 degree linear, linear manual focus. And so the manual focus on it is just amazing for video now. Um, best lens I currently own for manual focusing in my opinion. And the, um, you can program, it has different custom switches. And so like if you have it in C1 and you have like the focus hold button on the side of the camera, when you go to C1, the focus hold button will do whatever you program it to do. Then when you go to C2 and you press the um, focus hold button, it'll do a different function. And if you go to C3 and then use your focus hold button, it does an even different function. And in the menus of the lens, when you plug the lens up to your computer, you can program what those functions are. So like for mine, I have it set to, when it's in C1, the that button does uh, focus hold. When it's in C2, it does it changes the focus ring into an aperture ring. And when I'm in C3, it allows you to do perfect rack focuses by you point at an object and you press and hold the focus button and it sets the focus point. And then you can change your focus to something else. And then when you're ready for the shot, you repress the button and it automatically focuses back to that spot. It's really, really, really interesting and extremely innovative by Tamron. So like on my FX6, which doesn't currently have like some of the same autofocusing capabilities that the A7S III in terms of like options. It's really helpful because on a corporate project, I can like, if I want to rack focus from like, uh, you know, a person's face to a computer screen, I can set, I can point the lens to the computer screen, screen, press and hold the button and it sets the focus. And then I can manually focus to her face. And when I'm ready, I press the button and it'll rack for me perfectly. It's pretty amazing. Um, so I love that lens, but the problem with the FX6 is without IBIS, you know, you're trying to overcome the whole image stabilization issue because when you're hand holding, that's a problem. So what I've done on my FX6 is uh, I just put on a wooden camera. Get this over here. I just put a wooden camera top plate on it and I've got a leather handle coming in and I'm, I'm going to put a NATO rail clamp right here and I'm going to have a leather handle on my left side so I can grab it with both my hands right and left to help stabilize. And then on top of that, you know what an easy rig is. And I have my easy rig. And easy rig just announced a new product yesterday or the day before yesterday called the Stabil Light, which is basically 
this device that attaches to your Easy Rig Mini Max is pretty sick because it has a it's a spring loaded arm that attaches to your Easy Rig Mini Max and allows you to take shake out of your footage with your Easy Rig. So I'm going to probably get this Stabil light for my Mini Max and run my FX6 off the Mini Max with the Stabil light anytime I go handheld. And that way I can use non-stabilized lenses like a 50 prime or 24-72-8 and get great smooth handheld shots without IBIS. So that's something I'm kind of working through right now. You know, when you, when you run cinema cameras, whether it's an FX6 or FX9 or RED or C500 II, these are things you have to think about because they don't have some of those IBIS or things like that. You know, you have to kind of go a few extra steps to figure out these uh, movements and it can be a pain in the butt sometimes, but that's kind of where I'm at with that. Yeah. The, uh, so that, um, the attachment you're talking about for the easy rig, isn't it like, I think it's like 25 or $2,600 or something like that just for the attachment, which is crazy. Uh, but And that's not, yeah, that's doesn't include the easy rig. So you're in like right. 3,700 bucks with the whole setup. <laughs> <laughs> but is, I'm telling is, you, so the easy rig, huh? It just blows my mind how much some of this stuff costs. But anyways, go ahead. No, it's a lot of money, but the Easy Rig and that Stabil Light is like a lifetime, lifelong investment because you'll have that your whole career. And if you've never shot on an Easy Rig, have you ever shot on an Easy Rig? I have once, yeah. Dude, it is game changing for shooting. It like, is. I, I've been on projects where I've shot handheld or shoulder mounted all day, and dude, it kills your back, kills your shoulders, kills your arms. With an easy rig, you could literally shoot for like 12 straight hours and not even know. Like it's just so, so awesome for filming. And when you combine the Stabil Light to give you more stable footage, so you can shoot all day long with cinema lenses or prime lenses or lenses that don't have image stabilization and have nice stable shots for 12 straight hours and not even know that you filmed because it you know, the easy rig's taking all the weight off your arm and hand and back and everything. I mean, come on, dude, it's amazing. So it's a lot of yeah. money, yeah, but it's something, it's like a good tripod. You'll have it, you'll have it your whole career. Right. Yeah, it's definitely an investment to have, you know, for the long haul. I think uh, an easy rig is a, it's a great investment. But again, like we were saying, um, talking to somebody that, you know, maybe a newer person, I would definitely recommend a camera a nice camera before you go into all the crazy accessories you can get oh yeah yeah that's the number and one. a good tripod though yeah i will say tripod though too i can't stand it when i'll have freelancers want to work with me and they'll have like some super fancy camera and they'll have like a 200 hundred dollar manfrotto and i don't even i don't even call them back after that that's like i can judge you man i can judge you on a tripod literally the first i swear to you this is literally my first question anytime someone wants to do freelance work for me as i ask them what kind of tripod they have and i'll be able to tell a lot about that person based off that answer <laughs> that's great it's so funny though it's true man because if you have a red monstro or red helium in your case and you're filming on a manfrotto 502 i am gonna judge you dude i'm sorry <laughs> kyle's like that's what i have <laughs> I, I don't have a 502. <laughs> <clears throat> I don't know, man. Sticks are important to me. So um, what? They, uh, no, what? Uh, good, good, good sticks are very important. We have a 
we have a heavier it's an older it's got all the i got counterbalance and everything it's an older manfrotto their actual video series it's at the heavy duty legs and everything i have used the the everyone pronounced a different sackler or sockler depending on who you're talking to sockler, yeah but yeah depending yeah. on who you're talking to but the flowtech i rented that for a shoot and the flowtech is a game changer like dude I absolute love game changer dude it dude, doesn't get it's any so better. nice like so have you seen their new active heads I have, yeah. So it's pretty sweet to be able to pop off. Like I see people that are running on a dolly to be able to pop the head off pretty quickly and put it right on your dolly system or something like that would be incredible. Well, not even just that. So yes, that, yes, that. And then on top of that, so like the Flowtech, the whole idea is you pop you pop open the tripod from the top, pop, 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 and then you let, raise the legs and then you shut mm-hmm. it and it's yep. got a handle to help you raise and lower. So you're not bending down doing yes. that anymore. But the active head, you know, used to with the tripod, you'd have to like hold the camera and then go underneath the tripod base to adjust the level. Now with yep. the active head, it's a button on top. So you just press a button and you get it. And so the whole concept of the Flowtech legs with the active head is the most seamless, most innovative tripod system I've ever seen. It's it's incredible. And I've used um, so Miller tripods. I've used one of those too. I think it's Miller, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I've yeah, used Miller. one of those There's before Miller, too. Miller, Sockler. Uh, yeah, I, but I, I the Flowtech is just game changer for me. And having yeah. that speed and adjustability. And I mean, I'll be honest. Like recently, we haven't shot on sticks a lot. Um, we have a lot of handheld stuff. I use the the Mini Max on a shoot. We do a lot of gimbal stuff. Um, we did a lot of, and like when you're filming with the A7S3 using handheld with Ibis, you can actually get some pretty incredible shots. As you long can. as you're not super, long as no, you're not you super can. tight. Um, but we've had a lot of stuff recently. I haven't, I haven't honestly, I haven't picked up my sticks hardly. Outside of interviews, we've done a lot of interviews lately, but. I've even done some handheld interviews lately, and I really like the look of being able to move around with the subject mm-hmm. and go down to their hands and things if they talk with their hands or if they're, you know, that kind of thing. Having that flexibility, I do like that look lately, that kind of floating look, which is what you get with the yeah, Minimax, I do. Right? So, if, so I was about to say, so I've shot some handheld interviews off the Minimax like that. Dude, it's pretty awesome. I love yeah. it. Um, but, no, I agree. Like, sticks... Having a good camera is important, yes. But good accessories are just as important. But, you know, so good glass, tripods, and a nice camera. Like, those are three essentials that you have to have. Like, you don't have to go crazy with gimbals. You don't have to go crazy with a Mini Max if you didn't want. But, like, essentials, you have to have good sticks, good body, good lens. Period. And then you got to have something good to edit it on, right? Because you see so many people using a yeah. cheap MacBook <laughs> Pro that they that they can't even get through anything on. Um, that's another story, but yeah, I think uh, those those are definitely three good essentials. If you if you can only afford certain things, that's what I would go for as well. Definitely recommend the FlowTech system with an active head. Can't I haven't used the active head yet myself. I think it was the whatever the older version was. I can't remember what it's called now. FSB. But didn't you sell yeah, yeah. We had the FSB-8 is so what I, I used. 
So I have a Sockler FSB-8 with a pair of 75 millimeter bull sticks, and then I have a Sockler FSB-10 with my Flowtech 100 sticks. That's my main setup, but I am going to sell my FSB-10 fluid head for an active 10 fluid head here in, this, in the near future. So but, you've got yeah, both I run two setups. Socklers. I like them. Oh, I, I thought you sold so the I one. Used the, I sold it and I bought it back. Guy never used it and I bought it back from him because <laughs> I, I wanted it because I... So the Flowtech 100 with the FSB-10 is great for my heavier setup, but when I'm running with mirrorless cameras and I'm wanting to stay lightweight for a project, I like having the FSB-8, which is funny because I hear people in the outdoor industry that'll be like, yeah, man, I have an FSB-8. Uh, it's a, it's a big boy tripod, and I actually think it's actually really small, and that's the reason I bought it back is because I thought it was nice and lightweight to have. <laughs> because oh, when you have you like to... a Flowtech with a 100-millimeter bowl and an FSB-10 head, that's a big tripod. <laughs> yeah. What were you yeah. going to say? I was going to say the same thing. I'm like, once once you're used to the 10 and the 100-millimeter, I bet the 75 and the 8 was like, oh, this is a nice tiny. compact setup. But when you're talking it's about tiny. That, that <laughs> when you talk about someone that comes from tiny tripods legitimate tiny yeah. tripods and they see that it's like wow that thing's huge we had uh gosh what was the brand of that oh, i can't remember we had a man it was a like an italian name and i can't remember what the name of it was the tripod was it um use. oh my gosh what is the name of that oh why can i not think of the name of it there's a great italian company that makes great great fluid heads and systems and i can't think of the name of it it's got to be what you're talking about though oh my gosh that's gonna kill me i'm looking it up i'm trying to figure out what it is yeah please yeah because um there is a really great italian made uh tripod and fluid head company and i for some reason can't seem to think of the name of it but uh, cartoni was that who it was? Yeah. Yes. 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 That was it. Cartoni. Yeah. There it is. So we had a Cartoni that we ran uh, for a while, and and that thing was honestly it was old. Um, it was like given to us from somebody, and we used that, and it was actually a nice tripod. And the same kind of thing you're yeah, talking about. Yeah, they make great about, stuff. Like, when you buy a tripod, you can use the thing forever. If you buy a nice tripod, mm-hmm. it's not it's not something that's going to get destroyed like a $300 Manfrotto setup when you buy that, you know what I mean? Like you buy a, a good set of sticks, it's it's really a lifetime investment. So, I mean, I really like that one. The Manfrotto one that we have, is, again, it's another, it's a lifetime tripod. It was, I think it was like at the time when Adam got it, probably 15 or $1,800 decent mm-hmm. set of sticks. Not crazy expensive. I mean, that's, I mean, it's still when when I when I make the comment about the Mint Frodo guys, I'm talking about the guys running like two hundred dollar, like buy it from Best Buy kind of tripods. Those, those are the ones that those are the guys that kill me. I'm, I'm throw it. I literally uh, had a guy. Huh. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was gonna say because I literally had a guy who had one like that, and he would leave it leave it in the bed of his truck. He never took it out. Rain, dust, snow, didn't matter. He just left it in his right. truck rolling around because he just didn't care. <laughs> I, oh, that, that's the brain of thinking of Sun Pack from Best Buy. <laughs> there like you go. The, yeah, if you show up with a Sun Pack tripod. tripod, I'm going to tell you to leave. <laughs> yeah. I don't so care what, what uh, you're shooting what, on. Uh, <laughs> what kind of gear are you uh, looking to get in 2022 next year? 
Yeah, so I was just, I think I was telling you about this earlier. I was like looking at taxes and figuring out what I'm going to buy this year and not this year. I don't think I'm going to buy anything else for the rest of this year. I think I'm going to save all my purchases for next year. I would like, um, I need FX6. I definitely want to purchase. I want to, I, I really would like to have a Sockler set of tripods versus the Manfrotto set that we have. Don't love it. Um, it's just not as intuitive. You should buy my FSB10 fluid head. Yeah, is that give you a good deal on it? I'm buying Active for sure. If I'm buying a new one now, uh, and unless you unless you <laughs> want to sell me your your FSB8 and your 75 millimeter, I'll buy those from you. For yeah, cheap. I'm never if you're not I'm if you're not never using selling them. that again. <laughs> no, I bought um, it back and it's never leaving my side. But uh, anyways, I I definitely want to get. I'd like to have an FX6. I'm de- bar none picking up the 35 to 150 lens. That's a yeah, necessity. Yeah. Have yeah. you uh, have you used anything other than the Sony CF Express Type A cards? Because I know that I forget what the other brand is that came out. No, I I only use the Sony Tough cards because I like them because you could literally wash them in your washing machine on yep. accident and the cards would still work. So I, to me, like at that point, I just really like having these really tough tough cards so i run cf mm-hmm. express type a sony tough only um i am going to buy some of their sony tough uh sd cards though just to have some extras uh mm-hmm. for doing like long form interviews um just because i think they would be good enough for that yeah i have a couple of the v90 cards that that's what i use them for too is when you start getting really long mm-hmm. form stuff because yeah you know it doesn't unlock every feature that you can film but you don't need it for that exactly i'm shooting 4k 24 when i'm shooting an interview anyways which you have every yeah so v90 is good enough yeah so i'll I'll do same same kind of thing for that but like i i thought about just picking up a set of the it's pro grade that makes the other ones um i would like to try yeah that's right they recently came out yeah yeah i've heard good things about them i've never um i've never ventured in it but i've heard that they're pretty good I, what I would like, I mean, gonna, what I, I think, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Um, I would like to see more competition because they can drive the price down. Sony always has yes. like their prices are ridiculous for what the, for what it is. I mean, it's like you're. And looking I don't at, know that. I don't think their XQD cards ever came down when I owned the FS7. It wasn't until like recently no. that they came down in price. They just had Agreed. a stronghold on that forever. <laughs> the uh the pro grades so i'm just looking at prices on like b and h right now so like if you bought two of the sony 160 gig cf express type a's you're looking at 800 dollars. if you buy two yeah. of the pro grades you're looking at 590 that's a considerable yeah, savings a when you're looking at that yeah um i do agree with you though i think the tough cards are nice i have the my v90 cards are the the tough cards and obviously my ones that are my cf express type a's are the tough cards as well but i would like to have some more 160 gig uh, CF Express Type A cards, and I think I'll buy it. Dude, ask me. Grades. So the Sony CF Express Type A tough cards are four hundred bucks a pop. Ask me how many I have. <laughs> uh, let me guess. I'm gonna say like. Okay. Uh, let's see. Well, you have you have three cameras you're running against, so you at minimum you need six. I'm gonna say you probably have fifteen or sixteen. So I currently have. 12 i've got four per four per okay. camera but my i want to i want to double that 
<laughs> I can see that. Like, and Dude, honestly, it's if, so if much. Go ahead. If you're in the I or, or all I codec or whatever it is, I don't have it in front of me right now, mm-hmm. but um, it will fill up quick. It I mean, will, it's, yeah, it's, and that's what that's all quick. I shoot in. It's all intro. Yeah, I would like yeah. to see. I would like to see some larger cards come out. I mean, I don't want to yeah, see. I don't too. need. I don't need like two terabyte cards, but I would like to see at least some like <laughs> 500 gig cards come out that I don't have to yeah. worry about switching. Like I. I'm, I'm, I don't think that you need to have everything on one card because, and I need a knock on wood here. I more know we've had this conversation before. Yeah, there's definitely more risk involved. But, yeah, you know, it, it would be nice not to have to worry about card space at times. I've, I've literally, I filled up all my cards on the A7S3 one time. And we had a, it was a pretty in-depth shoot. And I filled everything up and I'm, I had to dump to my solid state when I'm sitting there, like I was like with the client, I'm like, you know, luckily my all my drives are fast. This is why you have fast drives too. I've dumped. Right. I, I filled up four cards, dumped while I was talking with the client in like six minutes. And then I was able to, you know, put that on my other SSD and then I formatted the cards. But I mean, there's I would like that's why I would like to have a few more, but I don't have another camera that uses them. So it was like, eh, four's probably plenty for me for what I'm using. But yeah, I, I, like have four, have I run four per couple. camera. I want to have six per camera um, at the moment. It's kind of what I really want. Uh, but right now I just have four per camera. But they're pretty, I mean, they're, they're quick cards and they dump fast. It's something I like. I can dump mm-hmm. a 160 gigabyte CF Express Type A card to an SSD drive in under five minutes, which is pretty pretty sweet. Yep. Yep. But I think what I, else, anything, I anything else you're planning to get? Go ahead. Um, for me, like I said, other than I'd like to have FX six, definitely the 35 to 150, maybe some more cards. I'd like a new set of sticks. I, I'm just going to buy an easy rig too. It's not that expensive just for the mini max. I'm just going to buy it just so I have that. Um, so I am going to sell have, my mini max if you're interested. Are you really? Because, because the, st- the stable light that I want to get the, that bracket we talked about, Mm-hmm. Only will work with the newer Mini Max, which is the same Mini Max I have, except for they changed the spring out, and so it, it's not compatible with my current version. So if you <laughs> ever want the Stabil Light, it won't work for you. But if you're not interested in the Stabil Light, then my there's no point, and you might as well buy mine. <laughs> mm, might as well buy it. I've bought gear off of you before too, which is what's funny. Like Josh have you? is selling you. When did you buy something yeah. off of me? I think I bought a Metabones. What, what did I back sell in you? The day. A Metabones, and this was I like... I do not remember that. It was like 2017, I think. Um, yeah, that sounds about I, right. I sold them in 2017. Yeah, so I bought a Metabones from you back in the day. Josh keeps good care of his gear if anybody's looking to buy anything. Um, <laughs> it was in good I shape. It even had the little uh, Allen key and everything inside the box, so everything is there. I did not know I, I sold that to you. That's interesting. Yeah, I don't, I don't buy... Uh, I don't typically buy a lot of used gear. That doesn't ever happen with yeah, me. Yeah, I don't either. I mean, I'll. I've bought a couple used lenses before from, um, like MPB and stuff like that. Um, but typically, I'm a buy it new guy. But I I don't buy me too. Can't I don't buy cameras used, just because I don't know what they've been through. Um, I'll I and this is also a plug. Buy from your local camera store, because. Mm-hmm. We need we need local camera stores. We don't need more B and H. Although B and H is very convenient, yes, but 
I, big plug for local camera shops because all my gear I try to buy from them if I can, you know, if, if, it's, if it's an availability. Like they had, I would go down, like when the A7S III came out, I went down to the camera store and I'm like, hey, put me on the list. I want to be the first person called when they come in. And the day that their cameras came in, they called me and I went down and bought it. So, like, it, it's just, yeah, it, you, can't so, beat, you can't beat that kind of customer service. No, I totally agree. So, my FX6 and A1 were, like, impossible to find. They're still, like, impossible to find. But Texas Media Systems, I have, like, a good relationship with them. They're a local store right down the road in Austin. And, man, like, the first day one in, they got they got in, they called me and the same thing with the FX six. And I got my FX six in February when people weren't getting theirs until like August, you know? And so like, yeah, definitely recommend working with local camera stores, supporting them. And there are definitely, you get in good with one and they'll take care of you. For sure. I mean, I, there were things that I was wanting. They were able to like push the envelope to get to me before I could get anywhere else. And, you know, and the thing was, is when it comes in stock, they, like if you're, you know, close with the camera shop, they'll let you know before anyone else will even know as well. So you're the first person that's going to get your hands on it. Like I, when the R5 came in, I I got there the day the R5 came in, um, which was last year sometime. Whenever that, you know, whenever the R5 came out and started really shipping, I was there. The R5 came in, and I was like, well, let me just test it out. And I tested out and I bought it, and then I had it for a month and a half and I sold it. And I'm like, let me know when the A7S III comes in. I'll buy that instead. <laughs> so I, I literally, within like a couple months, I had bought lenses, all the cards, both cameras from them. And I was like, I was like, I got to be one of your best clients down here. Like, <laughs> that's a, keep buying cameras every other month. That's awesome. Yeah, dude. That's yeah, that's pretty sick. I think I also that, rent from uh, them for too. Me for twenty. Do you? Yeah, I. They well, they don't have a ton, but like some select lenses. If you want a lens to try out or things like that, I rent from them. Things that are just like I've done a, that. A rare occurrence that you're not going to use it often. Yeah, I did that for the twenty-eight to three hundred Canon because I don't own it anymore. I used to own it, but I mm-hmm. just have no need for it anymore, so I sold it. But if I ever had a project where I felt like I needed that kind of a range, I would I would rent from my local camera store and get that get that lens rented. Yeah. So I get that. So, dude, um, I think for me for 2022, I want to get the Active 10 fluid head to replace my FSB 10. And I want to get the Stabilolite Mini Max set up because I think I could definitely benefit from that. Um, and then, I, dude, I got to replace my Rhino slider. I told you about that. I want to get the new Rhino slider because mine's got, uh, mine's great. It's just, it's not as smooth as it once was, so I want to swap that out. Um, but those are really I'm not I don't plan to buy a ton in 2022. Those are like the three things I want to get. And then I'm just like crossing my fingers and hoping that Sony comes out with a 24 to 72 8 version two with image stabilization. And there there's a rumor that they might, so I'm hoping that that's true. <laughs> I would fingers buy that crossed. if that came out. But that's fingers crossed because for the FX6 that would be perfect. Um, mm-hmm. But that's really all I have. Um, plan for next year i'm i don't know next year my wife is gonna probably i think she's gonna quit her job next month so i'm gonna be supporting the whole family off of my business so i'm i'm probably gonna tone down gear purchases for a while other than those few things yeah we um i'm trying to think i I don't think other than those items i don't think there's anything else i'm gonna purchase 
I had a question for you because you so you were like a max of eight lens guy, right? At one time, yeah, at least that's what you I told was, me. What happened? Yeah. Now, don't you have no, like eleven or twelve lenses now? I have I have eleven, so I want to get back down to ten. The only reason I have the twenty four to one of five and twenty four to seventy is because there's no image stabilization uh, on the FX six. But if the Stabil Light Mini Max combo helps me get better handheld shots, then I will sell the 24 to 105 and that'll drop me back to 10. So the reason why I have 10 is the 28 to 150, excuse me, 35 to 150, I feel like when that came out, I felt like that was something I really needed to have because of corporate work where I have projects where I just don't want to change lenses. And I, I feel like that was like one lens I was willing to add to my kit you know, and I'm glad I did because I, I leave it on my FX6 like almost always now. And then I broke down and let myself buy a macro lens just because I had some projects come up that I needed something really close. So I bought the Leoa, however you pronounce that, 2X yeah. macro. Dude, that is an incredible lens. It's like 100 millimeter to it, 2.8, 2X. And the 2X means you're getting like twice the magnification of a typical one-to-one macro. So you can get stupid close, see the veins on an eyeball type of thing. Um, so the reason I have gone from eight to 11 is because I added the macro, I added the 35 to 150 because I both think that those were essential for me for certain things. And then the 24 to 105 is only a temporary lens until I figure out a better handheld solution for the FX6. Then it's gonna go. Gotcha. So here's yeah. a question for you. For somebody that has uh, say they have the the Sony GM 16 to 35, 24 to 70, 70 to 200. So you have those three lenses. Can you lose yeah. the 24 to 70 with the 35 to 150? You could, yeah. Well, yes and no. So I'm keeping my 24 to 70 because if you want to do any kind of handheld shooting with a 24 to 70, which is like, to me, that's like the perfect handheld lens. You run around, whether it's a A7S III or an FX6, FX9, C500 II, doesn't matter. It's a great handheld range. And yep. the 35 to 150, I think, is a little too big for running around a handhold shooting. It's two and a half pounds or something like that, two, two something. And it's kind of front heavy. And so when you put that on a lens like that, or on like a camera like the A7S III, I think it'd be too awkward for running around handheld shooting with. So. Could you get rid of the 24 to 70? Yes. But if you do a lot of handheld shooting, then I would say no. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I somebody had asked me the question because they're like, well, my 16 to 35 gets me to the 35 and the 35 gets me all the way to 150, right? So like, you know, if you're looking at strictly focal ranges, um, that lens yeah. could potentially take you there. Depending on what your setup is. You know, if you're handheld, you're yeah. running a mini max or if you shoot a lot on sticks, I mean, that you have to take a lot into consideration there, what your work, your workflow and what you do looks like. Yeah. I think for me, so for me, I have like two, I have two bags. I have a, my mirrorless bag, which has my a one, a seven S three in it. And then it's got 1635, 24, 70, 72, eight, and a 100 to 400, four, five, five, six. It's got those in there. And it's got my primes, my, 2414, 3514, 5114, and 13518. And it's also got the macro, the Leoa 100 mm 2.8 2X macro. That's all in one bag. And then my other bag is my FX6 bag. And that's got my FX6, the 24 to 105 for handheld shots, 
just for now. And then um, the 35, the 150. So if you called me, I could grab either one of those bags and I could show up to a shoot. So if I wanted to grab my FX6 and a tripod, I got the only two lenses I need, you know, 24 to 105 for handheld stuff, 35 and 150 for everything else. All that with my mics are in my FX6 bag with a tripod right beside it, ready to go at a moment's notice. But then on the other side, if I wanted to be a little bit more creative, shoot with some primes, mix in some fast glass that you can handheld shoot with and stuff, that's what my mirrorless bag and all those other lenses are for. So that's kind of how I have my kits split up, if that makes sense. Yep, I got you. Yeah, we have a yeah, similar so. system. I have a Pelican 1510. Like I run two Sony bodies in, um, five lenses. Then I can put this additional kit, like my Ninja 5s in there, batteries for the Ninja 5, extra batteries for the Sonys, um, lens cleaning kits, um, tripod plates, you know, like all the all the random stuff that you would have to go with that. I have that, and then our red goes in another Pelican 1510. And then we have, typically we travel with two people, so we don't have to worry about having only two bags, but, you know, we always have if we're flying we try to consolidate all obviously when you have all the most important things and your four bags piece you know or whatever we're putting overhead and then whatever we put under the seat in front of us uh we'll try to have everything consolidated down to the four bags which can be difficult when you have a lot of gear as you know um making yeah, sure you have everything tough. with you and like they don't like when you have a bunch of big heavy v-mount batteries on a plane if you've ever run into that or not, but they do not like having those big heavy batteries um, just because there's a lot of juice, I guess, in the, you know, those big lithium batteries. So when you show up with like a ton of big V mounts, they're like, mm. it's like, well, they're going on the plane regardless of whether you like it or not, they're going with us. We've actually had times. Uh, so we do the 15 Pelican 1510s and they fit in every overhead that we've flown in. I mean, my all the way down to like, I know like the different types of planes that we're getting in and like if it's going to be really tight or not and so they always say like if you get into like a what's like a crj 700 like a regional jet they do not like having wheels if it has wheels on it they're like nope can't fly it and it's like well it's not going under and so i always just carry my pelican like a briefcase when we get on the plane and you get in there it is tight but it fits in the overhead just fine like you just gotta get it at the right angle and it'll slide right in but they don't like when you do that. So we had one time we were on flying with American and they were like, nah, it's not getting on the plane. And we're like, they're like, it's going under. We're like, well, it can't happen. We literally talked them into letting the flight attendant hold the luggage for us back where they sit in the back of the plane. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And we got on the plane and we showed the flight attendant that it fit in the overhead. And they're like, oh, that's fine then. And I'm like, so what was this big deal oh for? Like, we spent like like 20 minutes trying to explain to them why we can do it. And it was just ridiculous. Dude, yeah, flying like that has gotten a lot harder. So you used to not have to put batteries on in carry on. You used to put them under the plane way yep. easier to travel like that. Yes. Now, because you have to carry batteries on what I end up having to do is I have to take some of my lenses and leave them at home and take the lenses slots and stuff them full of batteries because I can't put them under the plane anymore. That's a real mm -hmm. thing. That's like super annoying now. Very inconvenient. That's for sure. When we had the dual FS sevens, FS five and all that stuff, we had those, the BPU 90 batteries, you know, that you put in the FS sevens. Mm -hmm. So we had like, yep. I don't know, eight or nine of those. I think we had, then we had uh, yeah. a bunch of the, the sixties that we used in the FS fives. 
and then we had a ton of Canon batteries and a, a bunch of the Sony NP batteries. I mean, all in all, like we had like an entire bag full of nothing but just batteries. And they made us make a spreadsheet of the batteries and how many watt hours all the batteries were. No like, it way. Was, oh, it was unbelievable. Like we had. I've never had to do that. It was like the fight of our life just trying to get the batteries on board. And they're like, why? Because literally Ugh. it was an older low pro backpack completely stuffed with nothing but batteries. And it was like, it was a red flag to them. Like, whoa. We're like, well, we have to take them on. What do you want us to do? Like they have to go on the, on the plane with us. So it's going to get stuffed into a backpack. That's the only option we have. And then they made us take all of them out and then put gaff tape <clears throat> over top of the contacts of all the batteries. Oh, God. Oh, that I we've had nothing but problems trying to fly with batteries in the last three years. It's been a nightmare. Dude, I don't fly as much as I used to. Now I drive most places. And like, I have a friend that I'm going to have a call today about doing a shoot in Georgia. And like, I'm having a debate like, do I really want to fly there with all my crap when I could just drive it? And like, I hate that because it's a quick flight. But dude, I hate flying my gear, man. It's a freaking mm-hmm. nightmare. They tear up everything too. So like we we put our what do you do. so what do you fly your uh, like your Rhino slider and stuff in? Yeah, so good question. So have you ever seen the Think Tank like tripod managers or I think it's called yep. the tripod manager or something like that? So I got one of those and I'm actually going to buy a second one. And uh, I'm actually got it right over there in the corner, dude. It's sweet. I can put multiple tripods. So like last shoot I flew on, I flew to Missouri. And I put uh, both my Socklers in there as well as uh, my Rhino slider the tw- with the 24-inch rails and my gimbal. And I zipped it all up in that and just stuck it under the plane. And it's it's a, it's not like a traditional hard case, but it is a hard case. So it's, you know, it, you're not going to damage anything that's in there. Um, and so that's how I fly it. Now, if I want to fly my 42-inch rails, I do have a rifle case with a custom cutout. Um uh, for it's custom like laser cutted for, that I've found this like a uh, place in in Europe that made it for the Rhino slider 42 inch rails and all the bits and pieces and so I have that if I want to fly just the 42 inch rails so I can do it either way I got gotcha. you yeah, we fly our we only fly the 42 inch rail we have the carbon 42 then the the metal 42 rails and so we don't have the 24 inch but we take, uh, it's called a sport tube. It was originally intended for like skiing and snowboarding. And mm-hmm. uh, so it's like, it's a hard case, but it like locks into one that are kind of telescopic. And we put our Rhino slider in there. I'll put like my audio bag with like my boom pole and that kind of stuff in there. And then I put, I have a sound blanket that I'll put around everything in there. It's a hard case. Plus it has that for padding then. Cause like the inside of it doesn't have any mm-hmm. padding. So I have the sound blanket right. that I put in there. And it works well. I mean, they've the the wheels on it, like the axles for the wheels, have got bent before from TSA, and I just had to bend the axles back. But other than that, I mean, it it works great for what it is because it has the most protection and it's really easy to pack. I really like that for what it is. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I think I don't typically fly my forty two inch rails. That's usually why I have the twenty four inches. Is they're great for traveling with. Um, but I could fly the 42 inches either in the tripod manager or in the that gu- gun case. But um, I like the. I definitely recommend those tripod manager bags for like anybody who's listening. Like they're pretty sick, man. I I I could carry two of those and just stuff them full. I could put my gimbals, my 
my gimbal, my uh, drone, both my, probably three, all three of my tripods, slider, all that stuff, boom poles, all in those two, um, two kits. And dude, by switching from my Movi gimbal to the RS2, and by switching from my old big Phantom drone to the Mavic 3 Cine, it cuts two cases out of flying because I used to have to fly those in separate cases. And now right. my gimbal and my drone can both fit in one of the big tripod manager bags with some other gear. It definitely makes traveling a lot easier. Do you have the tripod managers at the 44? Um, That's a good question. So I'll pull it up on my email here. So because what I really will tank. like for my... Do you run C stands or just light stands for everything? Right now I'm running light stands, but I have a big order for some Matthew C stands. I'm going to place an order for here pretty quick. Mm -hmm. um, I have the tripod manager 44, but I do plan to put my, so I told you I was going to get a second one. Um, mm -hmm. I do plan to put C stands in the second one. So my, so what is it? It's 44 inches long. So my C stands are 48 inches is the problem. Um, Yours I don't want, fold I really, down. No, so you have a, the forty-eight inch base. Um, okay. I w I would like. I think I want to get the their stand manager fifty-two because it's a fifty-four inch case, which is long, but you can fit like four C stands in there, which just like traveling sure. locally would be fantastic. Right. Yeah. So the C my, the C stands I'm about to order. So right now I'm running light stands for everything, even for my booms. I just sandbag them and they work fine. But the mm -hmm. C stands that I plan on getting are, I have them right here. The heck? Oh, I hit my orders, not wish list. <laughs> so, yeah, I plan to get the, where are they? Where did they go? Oh my gosh, dude. Freaking B&H. Relocated my stuff. Here it is. <laughs> I, well, I, I don't really buy a lot from them. I like to put my stuff like in a wish list just to have it. So Matthews yep, makes this set called the Matthews Trio C Plus Traveler Kit. It's like 934 bucks, but it comes with um, three C-stands with uh, three um, extension arms. And it mm -hmm. all fits in this custom case that has wheels on it. And that's yep. one of the ways I plan to fly with it. Um, it's a pretty sick setup. So that's the C-stands I plan to order. Um, I might pick those up. I told you what I might get next year, but I may add that to my kit list for next year. Gotcha. Yeah, that's a, So those have 40-inch risers. Mine's a, mine are 48-inch risers, which are big. They're just too big yeah, to travel th with. Yeah, those are I really mean, big. I have, uh, I mean, it's heavy duty, but they're just, they're too heavy and they're too big. Like I, I run a, uh, I have like an SKB golf case, like for, what's made for golf bag or something like yep. that that i yep. run all the yep. my c stands and stuff in but it's not that a perfect sense. system either yeah i like these i like this the system i'm going to go with and i'm going to do um like a westcott four foot by four foot scrim and a mm -hmm. mount that will work on these c stands so i can um yep. and it's a pretty portable scrim so i can run that and i'm gonna run my westcott lights behind the scrim to give me you know bigger more diffuse light but so all, Matthews, dude, it's the one. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just gonna say that's just the one thing about video, man. It's always something else you gotta buy. Just always mm -hmm. something, dude. <laughs> so Matthews makes a pretty sweet system. It's called the Road Flag Two Kit. 
So it's they're 48 inches oh, really? by 48 inches. It comes with a scrim, flags, silks, and the whole folding frame, and it fits up in a little tiny bag. Um, that's I'll definitely be it's purchasing called the that what? next I'm year. It up. It's called the Matthews, it's called the Matthews Road, Road flag. flag. Yeah, Road Flag Two kit. And it's a four by four setup, but it comes with like a silk, a scrim, flag, and a silver reflector side. And it's the one kind of, for six eighty. That's yep it's like 680 bucks yeah yeah okay nice so yeah that's it's a, pretty a pretty sweet looking kit because it comes down it has basically everything you would need you know within that kit that you would use on a typical you know you could flag off you can silk you could scrim and you can uh reflect with a silver all in a small yeah, little kit that folds down which yeah, is pretty handy. money that's kind of what so that's kind of what my west got four by four foot scrim scrim gin cine kit that i was looking at getting it's really similar yeah. so it packs down small like that and has reflectors and all that as well so i mm-hmm. it's really similar to what you're talking about um and you can get them in different sizes i was looking at the four foot by four foot just because more a little bit more portable and manageable for when i shoot by myself yeah um and it and less likely to blow over <laughs> if i'm using it outdoors um yeah but the other thing that's very similar know, to that man. is the IntelliTech fast frame. If you've ever seen those, uh, I have actually. I have. Yeah, there's some really good options out there. The tough part for me is uh, a lot of this stuff I haven't seen in person, so I'm just doing a lot yeah. of online research. Um, but I do have, I do trust Westcott because all my lights are Westcott, and I really like their lights. So I figured um, I'd be worth trying their scrim kit, but. You got to let me know how you like the Matthews if you pick it up. Yeah, I have a, so I run all Aperture lights now, and I think Aperture is just mm-hmm. changing the game so much. It's fantastic. That's another thing I'll yeah, probably pick up next stuff. year. So I, I think I'm going to pick up their Nova P300 light. So I have a good RGB mm-hmm. panel. I would like to have one of those. Yep. I mean, it's like eighteen yeah. or $1,900 for the light or something like that, but it'll be so nice to be able to do that and then diffuse it with like a big six by silk or something like that would give you some really soft, nice light. And then yeah, the fact no, that it's it, RGB, it, it I can do whatever would. I want with it. Yeah, no, absolutely, <clears throat> man. Um, I, yeah, I have, so I have Westcott lights, but I plan, I have the whole kits, but I plan to swap out just the panels for RGB uh, w panels mm-hmm. next year or the year after because i i love rgbw lights and back when i bought my lights that wasn't as much of a thing yet you know right right but well dude man we've covered about everything you could possibly <laughs> cover which is really nothing at all and everything all at the same time um exactly <laughs> so i'll probably i'll probably wrap up our podcast that is now yep. gone into like two hours, which no one's going to listen to, but whatever. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> if you made uh, it this far, man, congratulations. Really, congratulations. There's no prize, but we appreciate yep, sorry. it. Sorry. <laughs> um, dude, thanks for uh, hopping on a call today, man. I really appreciate Absolutely. it. It was uh, fun, fun to chat video as always. Um, it's, it's definitely so fun you, to I, chat stuff like this. Go ahead. It's definitely fun chatting yeah, man, bef- gear and video and all the fun stuff. Hunting. We've we've talked we've covered just about everything in this podcast. Everything. Everything you can cover. I guess I'll wrap but before I wrap up, I'll ask you, do you have any like interesting or big projects coming up? 
nothing that I'm going to release yet. <laughs> I, I know you and I have kind of discussed one of the projects that I would like to do, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to, I'm not releasing mm-hmm. anything yet of what, what that might be, but, um, nothing too crazy, not on the books yet. I mean, we have a, a couple fun projects coming up that I'm excited to, to build, but that might not be for a few more months. So yeah, just stay tuned, I guess. Okay. Okay. Nice. I don't, I have like a project I told you about that I'm working on a passion project for myself. And then outside of that, man, most of my work, uh, is with this engineering firm. They've just been keeping me busy them and that plastic surgeon that I I've done over 200 videos for, but I'm not complaining because I love it. They're great clients, <laughs> a little mm-hmm. monotonous, but I'm okay. I'm okay with it. Well, cool, man. Well, I will, wrap this thing up guys if you made it this far i don't know why you did but hopefully you were entertained in some way um or we kept you awake while you're driving at night thanks for tuning into the podcast if you are not yet a member of the filming with josh facebook group hop on over to facebook type in filming with josh and ask to join the group today the filming with josh facebook group is a place to come and talk about all things video so if you want to chat video hop on to that group Thanks for listening to this podcast. We'll see you guys next time. To learn more about Rustic River Media, visit us online at rusticriver.media. Thanks for listening to the Filming with Josh podcast. Catch every episode by hitting subscribe today.